another week is in the books, and that means it's time for another podcast. Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Ted Robinson, I'm Yogi Roth, joined by our producer, Michael Molinari. We came off an incredible performance from Utah, fellas. I mean, absolutely dominant against Arizona State. Top 20 showdown. One of the biggest games in Pac-12 Network's history in terms of two ranked teams as high as they were ranked. So I don't know how much sleep any of you got. I got minimal, but here we are trying to recap and look ahead. First and foremost, welcome back to the show. And Ted, I got to ask you, man, what did you take away from that dominant performance less than 24 hours ago? Well, guys, the most important thing I took away was I'm just honored that I was asked back this week after it was truncated last week. And the fan reaction to having more Molinari was (laughs) overwhelming. So I'm humbled, I admit. I I bow in the presence of the great producer and his wisdom. So thank you for having me back, Michael. And we saw, look, Utah, the first time we had seen them in person, uh, that defense is real. And it was everything we've come to expect from Kyle Whittingham teams. Physical, great secondary, and terrific line play. There was a, a matchup that we thought Yogi could be a mismatch, and it was. And it was difficult to watch if you're an Arizona State fan. You got a 17-year-old young man playing left tackle that just uh, – he was just – he had no shot. And he didn't seem to get an awful lot of help, and it was unfortunate. But I'm the first guy I said it to Yogi after the game. I've been on the Evan Weaver bandwagon as the best defensive player in the conference. Bradley and I made me rethink that last night. Bradley and I was – incredibly impressive and seemed to be living in the ASU backfield throughout the entire game. And uh, yeah, Ladarius Henderson definitely probably learned a lot from that game and hopefully he'll bounce back. Yeah, I think he will too. I mean, 17 years old, just crazy to go up against a guy who came back for his senior year because he wanted to do something special. And, And we saw a lot of special things. So we'll get to it. So if you're just joining the podcast for the first time, and again, fellas, we continue to double our listenership every week. So props Uh, to you guys, of course, for bringing the content. And thank you to everybody who's sharing it. Uh, A bunch of people in our communities around the Pac-12 have at least sent me a bunch of messages. I'm sure you guys have heard the same. So that being said, if you are a newcomer, we thank you. And also to remind you, we go through four downs, and then we give you your humanity moment of the week from our producer, Michael Molinari. We hope to give you some insight, not only into Pac-12 football, but also how broadcasts happen. That's why Michael's on this. He's seen big-time college football for but over two decades now, Ted, you've been around this conference for a long time. I've been around it for about 15 years or so. So here we are with our first down. Of course, it's the rivalry. Oregon, Washington. You know, there's a world where people thought Oregon was going to roll. There was a world on Saturday afternoon where you were like, oh, my God, here comes UW. And then here comes Justin Herbert. So, Ted, I'm curious, your takeaway from that game, because it was huge for this conference and, of course, huge for Oregon. Yeah, I've only watched the first half since we've been home. So I haven't seen the fourth quarter, but watching the first half, you saw two top-tier quarterbacks. Eason of Washington, who we've seen live twice this year, but he looked outstanding in the first half. That's the Eason that has you know himself in a lot of the draft projections in a high place. But where I was going to end up was what happened in week whatever, zero or one, whichever week it was this year, Oregon has a game they should have won, and they lost the fourth quarter to Auburn, right? They hadn't won the fourth quarter. They won the fourth quarter at Washington. Washington feels like they've got that game, and Oregon and Herbert wins the fourth quarter. And that, to me, is the is the turning point for the Ducks. Uh, they ran for, what, 180, I believe it was. And I think now that halfway through the year, we can say that the, the, the 
it's pretty clear. Washington is getting some offensive success, and their offense was good. Bush Hamden clearly had some stuff ready to go yesterday, and it worked. But their defense just has not been able to withstand you know, a tremendous amount of loss. And, and teams are running on him. Stanford put up 500 on him. Oregon runs for 180. That's not the Husky defense of the last couple of years. And to me, that's a difference. Yeah, I'm curious, Michael, for you, because I, I, I know I fall victim of this sometimes where you have UW, they lost nine defensive starters, and pretty much everybody, I believe every one of them had a chance in the NFL. You know, some you know, some it was just a mini camp, some training camp, some were starting on Sundays, but lost a boatload of guys. And then there's the Chris Peterson factor where you just kind of believe in him because it's Chris Peterson. I'm curious for you as a producer, like have you ever found that balance to be tricky or have you got caught saying, hey, I believe in the coach and the reality of the team may be a different thing? Well, I, I go back to week one uh, when we had Washington and you and I were talking and we said, it's amazing that they're losing all these guys yet nobody is even talking about the defense may have trouble. And, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's come true. I think everybody believed that defense would be able to just be rebuilt because they've always been able to do it. But this year, obviously, they lost so much talent and they're having more problems on the defensive side than I think most people would have expected. Yogi, to me, it's uh, tell me, it's with Burke Curvin losing him, that, that inside linebacker position, that's where I'm watching it, where I'm seeing it. What do you think? Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I mean, their front seven, you know, Greg Gaines, I mean, first and foremost, like he, how much did he just swallow? and allow guys to make plays. And then the athleticism of BBK, which, you know, you're right. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Jake Browning's probably not the best example because of the way Eason played, but the lore of some players that you think you can replace, it's going to grow because you realize how much they made up, you know, right? Whether he was baiting quarterbacks into a bad interception or just showing up when somebody made a bust or overran a gap. And to me, that's uh, that's been a big area for them is their front seven. They're just not what they've they've been you know they played so well against Khalil Tate that you thought you know maybe it would be another one of those but yeah you go back to that fourth quarter and I had a chance to watch that back and you know you gotta also give credit to Marcus Arroyo I mean they called some awesome plays I mean from the fourth down play you know to Micah Pittman to just how they called a lot of those games just putting pressure on the perimeter and the edges and and being able to run the football the way they did right at the heart of that UW defense as your reference having to replace BBK it was uh it was something powerful, and, and what a huge win, right, for this conference as the narratives are going to get set. We saw chaos happen this weekend on a bunch of different levels, but overall for the pack, man, it was. Uh, I think it's exactly what you wanted to have happen, which was Oregon to win in a tight game with Jacob Eason thriving. Hey, let me throw this thought out at you guys, uh, because I just thought about this a lot today and reading some of the uh, the takes from the Oregon viewpoint. And I had a conversation with Mario Cristobal before the season, and he was very open about last year. Remember, Oregon beats Washington when the Washington misses a a very makeable field goal at the end of the game. And Oregon went nuts. And, of course, it was a huge win for them in Cristobal's first year. And he was very open that they suffered after that. Remember, they had a slip after that game because he said social media. Social media crushed him. The players were reading their own grams, their own feeds, their own mentions, and they bought into it. And he said he's talked to a lot of guys about it, and he was really prepared for it this year. I'm imagining Mario spent a lot of time today, Sunday, being prepared, because I'm sure social media is blowing these guys up after yesterday. 
Yeah, that's a good point. You know, Michael, you had Oregon late last year. I think you had him in the Arizona game that they ended up winning. You know, did you notice anything about that team last year after they had some early success, even though they ended up winning that game? Um, curious if, if you noticed anything from that team. No, it was Arizona State. That's who it was, I believe, right on the road? Yeah, I think any team, you set your goals, right? And then when those goals aren't achievable because you have a couple losses you didn't expect early, then the great teams that can salvage those seasons are able to reset the goals and maybe, maybe the ducks a little bit of problem resetting the goals. And that's where, you know, you have, you have a goal and now it's unobtainable. How do you go forward from there? And I think that's, that's a, that's trouble that a lot of teams may run into as, as you move on uh, during the year. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of moving on, we're gonna move on to down number two and this is the Utah Utes. And we were there, you referenced off the top with Bradley and I, they got the Cal Bears, who may be on their third-string quarterback, Spencer Brash, a true freshman. Devon Modster's status, I think, for this game, at least as of time we're recording this, I think is up in the air. I look at Utah, and to me, they still look like the most complete team on tape. And granted, Arizona State was outmanned in a bunch of areas and played their worst game under Herm Edwards. But to, did, did, I don't know if it's just me, but they look like they're an elite college football team not only just based on last night in Rice Eccles Stadium, but but overall, Ted, do you, do you think that they should be in that conversation if they can run the table here and get to the title game? Absolutely. And look, this is where the CFP conversation, Yogi. I know you. I know, and I think our listeners have probably picked up on this. You feel pretty strongly about what the effect of the CFP has been, and this is one of those moments because for the Pac-12 right now to be a part of the CFP. In essence, there's nobody that roots for USC. And that's a bad place to be because the only thing USC has done wrong so far this year is play a tough non-conference schedule. And they lost two tough road non-conference games. Uh, and as a result now, the the only real chance for, I think, for one of the Pac-12 teams to make it, either Oregon or Utah, Oregon is almost certainly going to be in the championship game. They need to get there with one loss. Utah needs to get there with one loss so that the winner emerges and then can be in the conversation. And I'm looking again, guys, as you know, I'm want to do. Michael, is this soapbox time? I'm looking right here. I have Alabama's schedule just to refresh my memory this year that their non-conference games, Duke, New Mexico State, Southern Mississippi, and something called WCU. I don't even know what WCU is. I believe it's some solution I use to clean my sinks, I think. But but that's their non-conference schedule. USC played Fresno State, a very good team last year. Uh, they played at BYU and at Notre Dame. And they're going to get punished for that. I just think that's wrong. So Yogi's convinced. Yogi, you're drawing me into your circle on this point. I, I, I can go all in on the CFP, which of course is one of our four downs as well. And I just think right now, here's the reality. When you look at the teams ahead of Oregon and Utah, right? And currently they're 11 and 12 in today's AP rankings, which mean absolutely nothing. And I still am fully convinced that the only people that matter, and I hate to say it because us three on this call, we like to think we matter, but the only three that matter, or the only 13 that matter are the members of the committee. So I hope that they're watching. And a lot of times they reflect the AP, at least early on. So if we're going to see what we see in the current AP poll, what you need to have happen, right? Alabama and LSU, somebody's going to beat each other. To me, what I would love to see happen is LSU to lose to Auburn. I believe that's this weekend. 
if they could lose that game and then beat Bama, then it can shut down the conversation that will, of course, ensue, which is Bama and Tua is a little banged up. Still, when they're at 100%, they're better than everybody. And, and see if you can just get one team from that conference in, just in case, you know, if Alabama lost head to head, they wouldn't go to the uh, SEC title game. So so that's one thing that I think would, would be beneficial. Clemson, Ted, unfortunately, uh, for your argument there, they're, they can even one-up, I think, Alabama's conference schedule or non-conference schedule. They have Wofford this weekend. Not sure how Wofford is doing this year, but I'm sure it's pretty impressive. Or excuse me, weekend of November 2nd. So they get BC, Wofford, at NC State, Wake Forest, South Carolina. They should win every one of those games, but you'd love to see them stumble. My point is that if the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Big 12 undefeated teams, there's no chance for a Pac-12 team getting in. So you need somebody to lose. And to me, the Big 12 will have the best case of if Oklahoma, if they have one loss in the title game, they still will have a big time argument because of their nine conference games. They'll probably have to play, you know, they're going to play somebody twice. So the best case scenario where I think the Pac-12 was a lock is if whether it's the SEC and it's just one team and or someone in the Big Ten, let's just say Wisconsin knocks off Ohio State or, you know, Ohio State still has a schedule and a competitive one at that, then they're going to be no problem. Because if it's a one loss Pac-12 title and Utah and Oregon are ranked within one of each other, let's just call it six, seven, eight, by the time the CFP rankings actually matter in early December, then I don't think it's going to be a big argument. The challenge will be right now, there's going to be no talk about them. Like nobody's really going to talk about a one loss Pac-12 team getting in until somebody loses from the other Power Five conferences. Believe it or not, everybody in the Pac-12 this coming weekend is a Jim Harbaugh fan. Am I right? Because Michigan hosts Notre Dame this week. Michigan's done. But Notre Dame sits there with one loss, and it was a one-score loss at Georgia. That's a pretty it's a pretty good resume. And after this weekend, Notre Dame should win out. Now, they do have to play at Stanford Thanksgiving weekend, but we know that what Stanford has gone through with injury, etc., it doesn't appear to be the kind of Stanford team that we've gotten used to. So if Notre Dame wins this Saturday, there's a heck of a chance they finish 11-1. And they and eleven and one with the only loss being at Georgia, they're very much in the conversation. Let's not forget that USC right now is a tiebreaker too. Yeah, Michael, what do you think about? Just imagine this world for a second. Let's just say SC wins out because because I think they can. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you know if they're at full strength. Right. Let's let's not pencil Utah in. Yeah. That's... Could could you imagine SC going to the Rose Bowl? Like let's let's just pretend that happens. And now here you have a two loss Oregon, a one loss Utah. I'd assume Utah would get a New Year's Six Bowl berth. But th- that to me is like the craziness on the West Coast that I don't know if anybody's talking about that. But can you imagine if that would happen? And, and you know, guys, I think the good part, Yogi brought this up, is that both Utah, w- whom we saw live, and Oregon looked like CFP teams this past weekend. And that's the nice part for the conference, to have two teams that looked like it. Now, the question mark to me is we left Salt Lake City is Tyler Huntley's leg. We don't know what the extent of of an injury is, but they can't afford, obviously, they can't afford to lose him long term. And the way it did, I mean, just we looked at those plays before our game. Some of those amazing Fink uh, connections against Utah, I'm sure they've watched that tape and just, they're just kicking themselves, but... I mean, that's the point right now. They don't control, even if they win out, they've got to have they got to have help within their own conference to get to the title game. Then they need all the other help we just talked about outside of the conference. So 
Um, all they can do is take care of business, right? That's what that's what uh, Whittingham would say. All we can worry about is ourselves, and right now that's really all they can do. But they need help. They need double help to get to have a chance. Yeah, T- Ted, can you imagine? <clears throat> you know, you've been around this conference for a long time. What What are your thoughts on? Like, I I think you if you look at the schedule of let's just take the teams that are undefeated. Right. A couple teams have had difficult games in the first month and a half of the season, but they're not named Alabama. LSU, we got to give them props. I'd have them number one right now. Ohio State, to me, has looked like the second best team. Clemson hasn't played anybody. Oklahoma at least had one or two tough games. But overall, it's like the first six weeks, and you could argue like week two, Stanford SC, you know, hurts the conference's reputation to a large degree. Like, I wonder if the schedules were flipped. Like SC, if they had their their last five, their first five, you know, and Fresno state was week 11, like everybody else in whether the ACC or the SEC. I wonder what the narrative would be if our teams just set up to be six, seven and oh, uh, this is something I thought a lot about today, believe it or not, Yogi Michael, cause you brought it up and I was uh, watching the Oregon uh, tape, the Oregon Washington game. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, Bradley and I, this brilliant defensive end for Utah, just, chewed up a 17-year-old freshman last night. But in two weeks, he's going to face Trey Adams. And that's going to be a heck of a matchup when Utah and UW go head-to-head. But he won't see Panay Sewell. Utah and Oregon don't play this year. Now, there's a chance right now, a decent chance they play in Santa Clara, but they don't play in the regular season. And that's what I was thinking, is that that's a shame. And then the second thing I thought was exactly what you said, Yogi, and, and it's I hope fans understand I've beaten this drum, but I'll beat it again. Stanford and USC playing early in the season does not help the conference. It's done because of Notre Dame. Those two schools have long-term contracts with Notre Dame that demand that one of them hosts Notre Dame on Thanksgiving weekend. And the conference isn't thrilled about it, but the schools want it. So as a result, they play early. Utah and USC play early this year. That's a huge game. And you knew it was going to be a huge game. Uh, That, to me to maximize the conference's chances on the national stage, you need to adopt more of an NFL model. And the NFL has done a brilliant job in the last decade of saying, all right, we're going to have more marquee games and especially division games second half of the season. You can't play them all, but you play the vast majority of them in the second half of the season when they're more meaningful, when TV ratings are better, teams are not raw because there is, especially in college, as we know, there is no exhibition season. You, you don't have any preseason games to warm up. Uh, those significant conference games, need, I think, need to be played later. Yeah, Michael, I got a question for you on, on that note. Um, if you look at, and I'd be curious in your chair as a producer, right? You, you always just want a great game. But but being around college football, like you're in the minutia, then you, could always, all, you often raise up to the 10,000 executive level as well. But what do you value more, a good win or a bad loss? Because yeah, I say that because here we are, if you look at the SEC, because it's just kind of fun to beat that one around a little bit, you know, there's 14 teams, right? And Bama's not crossing over to play Georgia in the regular season, right? So they're going to get a good win against, I don't know, who they, you know, they, they play Tennessee every year. Tennessee's down. Let's just call that as the example. But they're never going to play the best team, at least the last couple of years in that conference. Whereas in this conference, um, at times you miss those teams, but the divisions to me are pretty, you know, it, the the parity exists at the top much more than it does at the bottom when you look at other divisions. So I'm curious if you value a a good win versus an average win. Well, I think the television television wants 
as good a matchup as you can get playing each other, obviously, because that peaks interest, which peaks ratings, which uh, increases uh, the financial side. But it seems to me like right now, to get in the playoff, that is not valued as much. It's just make sure you just keep winning, have a good record, and you're better off playing a subpar team and making your record better than taking a chance to play a better team with a chance of losing. I don't. It doesn't seem to me that within the playoff, getting into the playoff, losses to good teams are are that highly valued. That's that's my look at it. As you know, someone probably not as as much into the nitty gritty as you are with that Yogi, but that's my. I think that's the perception too um, to the average fan. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Okay, so the perception of the average fan is probably that Oregon State isn't that good. But after watching them, I think it's a nice pivot to our, our fourth down here. Um, you know, they got three wins. You look at the standings in the Pac-12 North, and it's kind of crazy because they're right below, of course, their rival in the Civil War, the Oregon Ducks. When you just look at the numbers at, at two and two, now in the conference, I'm curious both of you guys' take on this, and do you think that they're going to get bowling? Well, first thing I'd say is, look, the the North division is basically over. And the only team really with a shot, shockingly, is Oregon State. Because they played the Civil War game. They Oregon State has two losses. Everybody else has three. Now, I know Washington State still has a mathematic chance because they play Oregon this weekend. But they already have three losses. Uh, Oregon State is, is really, and it's probably a 3% chance, but they're the only team right now that has a shot. So, I mean, Oregon is, in essence, already wrapped up the North, while the South is this, you know, pretty much free-for-all scramble. Uh, that's stunning to us. And the other thing, I was asking you about this, Yogi. You know, last year we were we did a lot of Beaver football, and we were all on Jermar Jefferson. We were so impressed by this young guy and what he did, and he's been out of it this year. And it's Artavis Pierce that has taken over. You have him, uh, Pierce, as one of the top backs in the conference. You know, that to me has caught me by surprise. Yeah. Well, I mean, this whole team, right? I mean, we called the game last year and we didn't mean to break the news, but we kind of did that Jake Luton was appealing for his sixth year of eligibility and it wasn't really out there. But based on talking to him, he kind of told us his goals. And all of a sudden, Oregon State fans are like, what? This guy's coming back? Like, we thought we had Tristan Jevia, the transfer from Nebraska. Like, well, what's happening here? And then to see him not only win the job, but playing as well as he has throughout the majority of the season. His numbers the last two weeks haven't been great, but against Utah and Cal, most quarterbacks' numbers aren't. Uh, but that being said, him and then Artavis Pierce, you know, he's kind of a forgotten man, right? He bursts on the t- scene as a true freshman, gets banged up last year, and Jamar kind of becomes the dude, right? After the Ohio State game, you didn't really talk about Artavis Pierce very much. And, you know, he had that long run. A couple of them, I think it was a screen or something like that in, in week one or week two, whenever that game was. And now he's kind of become their their steady back. And he's patient. He's got great vision. He catches the ball to the backfield. And this team, I think they're the number one ranked team in the country in turnover differential. And that, that, that to me is... Like you talk about some of the things that you don't you talk about all the time, but you wouldn't think you talk about it with Oregon State, or especially a team that you know has had their recent history. And man, it's it's so impressive. So, uh, Michael, I'd lo- I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, I was up there a few weeks back for the Stanford game, and I think uh, on this very podcast, I f- I said I really feel like they're headed in the right direction. Just talking to players, going to practice, it really felt like they were moving in the right direction, and. You know, since then, a win, a win at the Rose Bowl, 
and now a win at Cal, which is a stunner. Uh, the two the two things that jump out at me, they had a lead at Cal, and then they they it got competitive again, and they were able to come back and survive that kind of punch in the mouth, and it, and they were able to get the win. And I think that's a huge thing for them. That yeah, it's a good it's a good to have a win where you blow somebody out. But when you have a lead and you blow it, but you're able to hang on and win that game, I think that's going to be huge for them. Uh, the stat of the week in this conference, they had nine sacks. That's unbelievable. Nine sacks? I mean, that's. I mean, I know. Uh, I know Bradley and I. Uh, you know, he could probably he could probably manage that himself too. But nine sacks for Oregon State defense. That just jumped out at me. It was like that's incredible. And uh, I, I really think, like I said before, and I, I really feel like they're headed, they're heading the right direction, and they they're starting to believe. What they need now is a conference win at home. It's been a long time, and hopefully, they can get a conference win at home before the end of the end of this season, because I think that would really propel them. Yeah, it's going to be tough because their two home games are Washington and Arizona State, so it won't be easy. Yeah, no, it'll be tough. But you know, the funny thing is, they had a terrific comeback in a home game against Stanford. And Davis Mills, to his credit, gathered himself and pushed, pushed Stanford down the field at the end of the game to kick a field goal, right? Michael, you were there. Otherwise, uh, otherwise Oregon State's 3-1 and one in the conference. <laughs> it's, it's great. But look, we all understand every conference, I mean, the SEC, for all the talk about the top teams, the bottom teams in that conference have had some really rough losses this year. It's much better for everybody when somebody's always going to be in a trail position, but when those teams are better. And Oregon State's been down for a long enough now. They need to be better. And to have Jonathan Smith, of all people, doing it, uh, I, I hope it's creating belief up there. It's it, it would be a great thing for the conference to have the Beavers back. Yeah, this is going to be fun to watch them. And I think it was Bobby Bowden who said it a long time ago. When you take over a program, you lose big, then you lose small. And then you win small, and then you win big as a trajectory. And you could look at them, the Hawaii game and the Stanford game. I mean, there's a world where they're five and four, you know, I mean, they should have won the Hawaii game and the Stanford game you just referenced. So I think this is a team, it'll be fun to watch them continue to develop and it'll be fun to, to see how they pick up in recruiting here. Did a nice job in Southern California. Um, all right. So that's our four downs, Michael. Uh, we got a few minutes left. want to make sure we turn it over to you. A lot of great stories in college football this weekend uh, from obviously what happened with the Minnesota Golden Gophers and their kicker. If you know, you watch that, you're crying. Um, in our game, there were storylines. I mean, they're through and through. So I can't wait to see where you go here with the humanity moment of the week. Well, originally the leader in the clubhouse was Friday night, the uh, 2019 Osmond brothers who sang at the uh, Green Pig. I thought in their sequin jackets, that was pretty <laughs> impressive. But Cassandra Moss stole the show. Uh, Zach Moss's mom, who flew from Florida in the hopes that she was going to see her son break the record. Um, I'm going to give one little note for all uh, all the TV folks out there. Uh, I'll use the old Russian proverb: "Trust but verify." We made sure that we had, or Lewis Johnson made sure he walked up to Cassandra Moss and made sure that the person we were going to be showing all night was the right person. And it's happened too many times in television where they've been showing somebody for a while and all of a sudden uh, you get a call to the truck that that's not the right, that's not the mom, that's not the brother. So we made sure we were right. And she she was great. Uh, she was in a poncho in the pouring rain in 50 degrees and she's from Florida. So I'm sure that was not something she was used to. And then her son gets hurt 
he gets a, he's a victim of a pretty pretty hard hit on a target. He goes down. She's like she has that look of concern, and I'm glad we we took a shot of her and saw a little bit of that from mom. And then, uh, but Zach comes back in. We were following her again, and finally, late in the uh, fourth quarter, he gets the record. And uh, you know, it's it's joy for mom, joy from Zach, and then Lewis Johnson put a button on it in the interview after the game. And uh, it was really just a, you know, sometimes you take chances. Our cameras, Scott Barkey, our director, did a great job working her in all night. And it wasn't just like, hey, he he broke the record. Let's show mom right now. We followed her from start to finish. And uh, the other thing I, I wanted to mention, uh, there's a great article in The Athletic that gave even more background than I already knew that morning, which really helped us out. So uh, a little shout out to them as well. But Cassandra Moss is definitely uh, definitely my humanita- uh, humanity moment of the week. Well said. Well said. What a week it was, man. I, I can't wait. This weekend, we've got UCLA at home coming off a win against Stanford, against Arizona State coming off that loss against Utah. Before we let you guys go, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, yeah, I mean, look, UCLA hasn't played. They've had this nice little gap in their schedule with, with the Thursday night game and then a bye. It almost comes off, feels like a double bye. So hopefully rested. Thompson Robinson looked really good in the Thursday night game, healthy at least. So yeah, can UCLA can they can they get a little momentum going? And uh, and I thought we saw a great lesson again in leadership from Herm Edwards after the game at Utah when Arizona State didn't play well, they were just beaten, and then they didn't react well on the field. And Herm has talked about the fact that he you know, he wants to have a team that is emotional and passionate but plays with some poise, and they didn't have it. And Herm Edwards took ownership after the game. He said he apologized directly to Kyle Whittingham. But he always said, it's we, it's us, it's our. That's not the way we play. That's not the way our team plays. And again, a valuable lesson in how, you know, Herb Edwards got his point across, but he did it without individuals singling out anybody or demeaning his own team. And that's, to me, a measure of Herb Edwards. And, and how does his team bounce back at the Rose Bowl this, this weekend? That's what I'm really curious to see. UCLA starting to, to feel like they can get things done. And how does ASU bounce back from, obviously, disappointment uh, in Salt Lake City? That's what I'm looking forward to. Yogi, by the way, we have, we have to, real quickly, the HBO show last week, Herm Edwards came off fantastically. Arizona State was ecstatic about it. They actually had a little clip of the meeting we had with Herm Edwards on Friday. And did you notice they, were, they inserted a question that was asked by Michael? Well, look, I don't want to. I don't think that the pod should take direct credit for the growth of Michael Molinari's desirability from places like HBO. But hey, the voice, Michael, just keeps growing. I, I did a double take, recorded it, and uh, you might hear it in the closing credits of this podcast. If you made it this far, stick around for another 45 seconds or so. It, it was a riveting question. <laughs> No, Ryogi, it was a really good question, don't you think? Oh, yeah, it, it was. and So, therefore, it leads to the obvious question. Who wrote that for you, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Yogi. <laughs> well said. Well, we got a great week. I think that of all the weeks, there isn't a marquee game in this conference, but I think it's going to be the most competitive weekend 
that we've had all season long. SC Colorado on Friday night. SC six starters are injured. We'll see about their status uh, on that Friday night game in a short week. Arizona Stanford is it Khalil Tate? Is it Grant Cannell? I mean, what, what's going on there? Can't wait to see Stanford. Do they bounce back? Who plays quarterback? Our game you reference Cal and Utah. I kind of feel for Cal right now with how Utah's playing. So that one might not be very competitive. We'll see how that Cal defense comes out and is Tyler Huntley even hurt. So it's got a sneaky appeal to it. And then Oregon, they haven't beat Washington State, I think, in the last four years. So is that one where the Ducks, to Ted's earlier point, are they feeling themselves too much or are they dialed in and focused and can they break the streak? Either way, it's going to be a heck of a weekend. It's been a heck of a conversation. It's been a heck of a season. I can't believe where we are, fellas. But uh, thanks again. Another conversation for everybody who's listened. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. Hit us up on social media. All of our social media handles are in the notes below. And as always... Much love, and we'll talk to you next week, bringing you the best impactful football. Good fun having the cameras follow you around all week. This is more than just football. It's always been more than football for me. You have to teach them about the responsibilities of being a man, because they're gonna leave this university and they're gonna become men. Hopefully, some of the things that they've learned in football will reflect that. That's why these cameras are here. It's always about the game of football and how we promote it, trying to make sure it's better for the next generation that follows us, for the next head coach that sits in the seat, by the way, because I'm just borrowing it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.